This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer, helping meet the challenges of sustainability to help shape possibilities and our vision of health for all, hunger for none. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Jim Mulhern next. As a leader in the industry, we at Bayer have the opportunity and responsibility to help address the challenges around sustainability and ensure that we can all thrive while using our planet's resources in a sustainable way. Sustainability is an integral part of our operations, and we believe that farmers and agriculture can be part of the solution to many of the planet's biggest challenges. Whether that's helping growers utilize new technologies to get more out of their land, or incentivizing carbon-smart practices such as strip or no-till and planting cover crops, we're committed to innovate, grow, and partner with farmers to help shape what's possible and further our vision of health for all, hunger for none. For more on Bayer's sustainability efforts, visit Bayer.com forward slash en forward slash sustainability. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The cyclical financial swing for dairy farmers of the nation has improved now to the positive side of the equation. Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, says the top three issues are easily defined. The agenda right now, I suppose, is the the, the CCC. It's um, uh, it's COVID, uh, trying to come out of that. It's it's conflict with the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, um, and it's climate. Uh, all three issues that we're having to deal with, you know, they got a short-term, a middle-term, and a long-term aspect to them. Uh, but they certainly have impacted dairy. We came out of COVID, uh, frankly, stronger than um, I thought we would going into it. And I've got to say much of that was due to a very helpful uh, federal policy response. Um, the, the COVID assistance uh, passed by the Congress, uh, approved by the administration, uh, the direct payments to producers, the food box program, uh, lots of assistance there really was important to carry our industry through what was a, a devastating uh, impact when food service shut down in the, you know, the spring of, of 2020. Uh, a lot of dairy moves through the food service market, so that was a, a major uh, blow to us, but the assistance uh, of both the direct assistance to producers and the, the food box purchase of product did provide a lot of help, and that uh, kept us going through 20 and 21. And now here in, in 2022, um, we are seeing a strong demand for dairy, both in the U.S. Um, and around the world. And so this is a time where we're looking at, you know, growth for the future. Uh, but, you know, it's right now challenged by the high production costs that, that farmers are facing. So it's a, it's a, it's a real mixture. And I think much of U.S. US agriculture is facing that. Um, on balance, um, we're pretty bullish about the future, but we've got these current challenges to deal with. I wonder if you're interested in commenting on what has been uh, a really big issue, especially for young families, and that a shortage of infant formula. Does this have an impact on you? 
Well, it does. It's, it's a major issue of concern, um, obviously, for all young parents, but really for the entire country when you look at um, the, the important role of uh, infant formula in the diets of you know, millions of children, infants. That basis of that infant formula, is, most of it is dairy. So it has had an impact on our industry in terms of you know, when a plant shuts down in Michigan, um, we have members who are supplying condensed milk uh, to that plant for conversion into infant formula. Uh, those obviously that's, that product is not being supplied right now. Um, so there is a there is a, a, a negative impact in that sense from you know for the industry. I think that you know, there's a positive impact as well in terms of, of just in terms of recognition of this. Uh, what you're talking about with infant formula is is the you know the 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 food of life for uh, for infants and um, and that's essentially milk. So it reinforces the nutritional uh, the understanding of the nutritional importance of uh, milk and dairy products. In this case, in infant formula, the larger picture is in the in the American diet and increasingly in the diets of, of people around the world. So it does have an impact. We're certainly hopeful that the situation at the plant, the Sturgis, Michigan plant, uh, you know, gets resolved as quickly as possible so the production there can resume and, and get the supply chain um, back functioning in a normal sense. It is clearly going to take a while to do that, and that's why we have been supportive of efforts by the administration uh, to um, take emergency measures to import uh, infant formula from uh, safe sources, countries that, that you know have a, a, a safe and, and uh, reliable supply of product. Those temporary actions to get product in here, uh, get it back in the shelf, is something that you know we have supported and will continue to support as, uh, as long as this, this problem is still before us. As is the case with COVID, what did we learn in this infant formula situation? And should there be, can there be a change in the paradigm to see that this doesn't happen again? Well, I think we're still seeing this unfold uh, to try to, uh, you know, glean the, the, the learnings, the lessons from it. Um, certainly one that we're experiencing is the supply chain challenge, and it's not just in this area. It's, it's As you know, it's a much broader challenge for us in dairy and for all of agriculture and, frankly, for the entire economy as we see all of the challenges in the supply chain. Um, you know, it, it, it you see when you've got... Uh, one major plant closed down that produces, uh, I think, perhaps a quarter of the infant formula or as much as a quarter of the infant formula in the country, that's going to have a huge impact. So, um, you know, the diversity of supply um, and sourcing, I think, is one of the, the things, and I'm not speaking just to infant formula in this case, but I think that's one of the, the lessons if you will, on the, the last couple of years with, with fragile supply chains. But it's also the challenge of how, how you know, things can go wrong at so many different points in that supply chain. If you have a challenge in one area, you can perhaps deal with that and develop some workarounds. It's really a problem when you have challenges at so many parts of the supply chain, and that's what we're seeing right now. So I'll float this, this thought as I, as I bring you this question. The beef industry is the latest to discuss consolidation and lack of competition. But there is, if we look at economics of scale, a certain efficiency that comes with consolidation. How has the dairy industry dealt with this 
And is this uh, an issue that U.S. agriculture needs to address from a holistic approach? Well, I think it varies depending on the industries. And you, you mentioned the beef industry, and, and there certainly are, there is more consolidation in the in both beef and I think the meat industry overall. Um, we have a little bit less consolidation in dairy. I think we're in a, in a better shape in most parts of the country. Um, you have multiple buyers for your milk. That competition is helpful at the producer level. Um, there are areas of the country where there aren't as many buyers, and it's, those are areas where it's a longer distance from, you know, from the farm to the market. Um, so there certainly are some challenges, but um, the consolidation issue is a little bit less of a challenge in dairy than it is in other commodities. And I think, frankly, one of the, the greatest uh, benefits, um, assets for the dairy industry is the extensive uh, farmer ownership of the supply chain. Uh, National Milk Producers Federation is an organization of cooperatives, and you have uh, farmer-owned cooperatives more so um, in dairy, both from a marketing standpoint and a processing standpoint, than any other commodity in the country. That has kept us, I think, in, in good stead as we look at the challenges of today and the challenges of the future. Um, farmers have a reliable market with their cooperative. You know, the, the issues we've had in the last couple of years where there have been a few milk plants that have, you know, either gone into bankruptcy or closed down, um, those, and a farmer loses a market, those have not been cooperatives. Um, what's happened in many of those cases is the farmers who are shipping to a proprietary plant lose that market, and then they, then they shift to a cooperative. They begin to realize the value of having investment in the the production and, and processing of their and marketing um, of their product. So um, I think this issue of consolidation and concentration um, is one for U.S. agriculture and probably for the in many aspects of the U.S. economy more broadly. Um, I think in dairy we're fortunate to have the the strong cooperative base, and in most parts of the country, um, pretty good competition for. Um, you know, for milk supplies. Most of the ag industry applauded the approval of USMCA, but one of the industries that was certainly showing the most concern was dairy because they realized that the relationship between Canada and the U.S. and the area of dairy wasn't exactly the best. And now this is a saga that continues to play on, even a second challenge now coming from the U.S. toward the actions of the Canadians. Uh, delve into this issue. Tell us why it's important, and from the U.S. dairy industry, what needs to be done. Well, you framed it up well, Jeff, with your with your comments. It is a a longstanding challenge. Uh, you know, keep in mind that for most of U.S. and Canadian agriculture, we have a pretty open border. That was the whole basis of NAFTA. It is a North America free trade agreement you know, eliminate the barriers that, that um, block the flow of product. And for many commodities, many products, um, there is uh, a free trade between uh, our countries. Uh, dairy is one of those agricultural products that there is was not free trade. And NAFTA, the initial NAFTA agreement um, did not include dairy. Uh, subsequent agreement, um, you know, pretty much restricted it as well. Um, when the renegotiation took place, um, the the effort was to build on some of the um, developments that were uh, included between U.S. and Canada in the uh, 
the Trans-Pacific Partnership that had been negotiated, TPP, because Canada was part of that, U.S. was part of that, and there was some uh, increased market access, not what we wanted to see, because we had hoped to see the establishment of an open border, open trade between U.S. and Canada in dairy. But because of the domestic um, supply management system that is that Canada maintains, uh, with uh, essentially some of the highest prices um, in in the world, um, that would obviously be a challenge for them. Um, it would require them to move away from supply management to have open trade uh, between our two countries. I think someday we will get there, uh, but it's not clearly not happening in the, in the, the near term. Jim, what does the U.S. dairy industry want Canada to stop doing, and what do you want Canada to start doing? Well, right now, what we want them to stop doing is preventing the access that was negotiated for U.S. dairy um, into Canada as part of the uh, U.S. MCA agreement. And that's really the issue that uh, the U.S. government took action on this past week to pursue a second discussions with Canada on its obligations to meet its its uh, USMCA agreements. Uh, we had a, already had a dispute settlement panel where Canada put together how it was going to give U.S. access uh, to, to the dairy um, TRQs, the tariff rate quotas that were allocated in the USMCA agreement. Uh, the way they did it uh, was designed to really uh, limit that access um, in contrary, in violation of both the spirit and the letter of the agreement negotiated, now the U.S. is seeking further consultations with Canada to uh, address these challenges. And if they're not successful in resolving that issue in the next 30 days between the U.S. and Canada, the U.S. will file a second dispute settlement request to try to get this access. So what we're trying to do is get access for the limited amount of product, limited amount of product that was negotiated in the USMCA agreement, the access for U.S. dairy into Canada, to be able to ex- to export that to uh, buyers in Canada uh, to make it available to consumers. What they're really limiting is the access to retail and food service. Um, right now, the TRQ is being allocated under the Canadian plan to processors, essentially our competitors in Canada um, who don't really have any need for a product and if they do they're going to they're going to blend it in a way that consumers in Canada don't get the benefit of that product. We want to be able to export product into Canada so that Canadian consumers can buy US cheese, US dairy products in their stores. That really is the heart of the dispute. 2018 Farm Bill did have new and revised dairy policy. Since then we have continued to lose small dairy farms across the country. So, Jim, look at the 18 bill. What's good in it for dairy? What needs to change for dairy with a 23? Well, the 2018 Farm Bill was very, very important for U.S. dairy to establish an effective risk management program. Um, we didn't have that prior to 2018. The, the policy established in the 2014 Farm Bill uh, was half a loaf, and that half a loaf was well-intended, but it did not provide the effective safety net needed, uh, especially for small and medium-sized producers. We got that fixed in the 2018 Farm Bill, and we expanded risk management programs for all producers. So we have a very 
solid base to work from uh, from the 2018 Farm Bill, where farmers do have to take advantage of it, an effective safety net, and effective risk management tools. For the 2023 Farm Bill, we're looking at, at tweaking some of those provisions. Um, that really is the key. It's more um, improvements in the program itself um, rather than any wholesale changes. It is working well. It is an effective safety net. Um, one of the things we need to do is to get more and more producers utilizing that safety net, and those are things we need to look at. Are there incentives we can provide or put into the 23 Farm Bill that will induce more farmers to uh, to utilize the, the safety net provisions that are there? It has been effective for those that have used it. We need to build on that and improve it for the future. Jim, not all of the products in the dairy case came from a lactating animal. And the discussion of food labeling and what products should be able to use the word milk uh, has been in question before, and it remains in question today. And it truly has become a polar issue. Where does it stand? Where do dairy farmers stand today? Well, this has been a long-standing issue, as you just uh, summarized in your in your comments, uh, Jeff. Uh, this is one we've been working on for some time, and the heart of it is what I would call um, lax enforcement. Frankly, it's become non-enforcement by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration of their existing standards of identity um, in the area of of uh, milk and dairy products. FDA does enforce the standards when it comes to a what goes into a into a dairy product. What they don't do is enforce the standards on a product that is doesn't have dairy in it, uh, but is using a dairy name, whether that's milk, um, yogurt, cheese, or even now butter. Um, all of those products have a standard, and you have to only certain things can be in those products. FDA has turned a blind eye to the enforcement of those standards when it comes to something that is has a soy base or oat or rice or some other uh, plant substrate, and you're seeing increasing in the marketplace the marketing of those products with a dairy term. Now, those products have every right to be in the marketplace, but they should be marketed based upon what they are, not what they're not. They're not dairy products, but they're training on, trading on the nutritional halo, if you will, of milk and dairy products. And for the most part, those products do not contain the same nutrition as milk and dairy products. In fact, none of the multiple beverages that are in the marketplace, none of them that are sold using a milk term uh, that, but have a plant base, none of them that match the nutritional content of a glass of milk. Um, that's a problem, and that's what standards were set up to, to address. Uh, so you have a lot of misleading marketing going on because consumers think when they buy these products that they are equivalent to to uh, drinking milk or having yogurt or cheese or or whatnot. Um, that is the problem, and we're asking, we've been seeking for some time, FDA to enforce its own standards of identity in this area, which would require those products, if they're going to use a dairy term, um, it's really uh, milk imitation, imitation milk or substitute milk if you're going to use the milk term uh, because of the lack of nutritional equivalence those products have. We're, we're hoping USDA, rather FDA will address this. Um, the issue is now at um, the Office of Management and Budget. Our understanding is that FDA has, has submitted some guidance policy 
we don't know what's in that guidance, guidance policy right now, uh, but we're expecting it to come out this summer. Uh, my hope is that the guidance policy provides some clarity in this area uh, that doesn't allow these products to masquerade um, using dairy terms when they don't meet the nutrition of milk and dairy products. I have a feeling, regardless of decisions made by an administration or other in Washington, that we're headed for a courtroom. Well, perhaps. I just don't know. I don't want to prejudge it yet because I don't know what the guidance is going to be. But this is something where FDA doing its job, providing clear information in the marketplace to consumers would help everybody. All we're asking for is clarity in this. And, again, these products have every right to be in the marketplace. not questioning that at all. Uh, We are questioning their marketing process, their marketing um, uh, activities that trade on dairy names when they're not dairy products and they don't contain the same nutrition as milk and dairy products. So we have uh, happened upon now uh, what is known as June Dairy Month, and I understand the scope of June Dairy Month has now expanded. Indeed, it is. Um, in fact, June one to your to your um, your comments there, Jeff. Uh, June is is uh, Dairy Month in the U.S., but it, June one is World Milk Day around the world, and that reflects the the growing importance, uh, growing recognition, I think, in in countries around the world of the nutritional value of milk and dairy products. You know, here in the in the U.S., the fastest growing use of dairy is in cheese. And we are now experiencing dairy consumption on a per capita basis at a 60-year high. Uh, more dairy products consumed per person than since the 1960s, early 1960s. Um, so you're seeing shifts in the category, uh, less fluid milk consumed, a lot more cheese, more yogurt, uh, more butter, variety of products. that um, Consumers consume dairy for many reasons, um, obviously, Taste is probably number one. Uh, nutrition is probably number two. Uh, convenience. Uh, there is so many attributes of this product, um, but it, it really is an unparalleled nutritional uh, food in our diet. Jim Mulherm, we want to thank you very much for taking time at a busy season, and especially here on the threshold uh, as we look at Dairy Month, for spending time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Jim, we always love to have you here on the program, and you know uh, today you get the last word. Well, it's great to be with you, Jeff, as always. really appreciate the work that you and all the folks at AgriPulse do to um, help communicate and be that that bridge, if you will, between the agriculture uh, community um, and and the policy community. Uh, the, the work uh, of the entire team is so important to for all of us in agriculture. We really appreciate all that you do. Our thanks to Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer, helping meet the challenges of sustainability to help shape possibilities and our vision of health for all, hunger for none. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.